Welcome to the Horrible Movie Podcast, a studio DNA podcast. We're available on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and at thehorriblemoviepodcast.com. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. You can become a patron of our show and the Studio DNA Network by going to patreon.com slash studio DNA to find out more. Now, here's the show. Hey guys, wanted to start the show out today with a segment we like to call the Song of the Week. And this one's a first. Our guest on the show is Derek Webb. And today, the Song of the Week is a song by Derek Webb. The song is called The Spirit Bears the Curse. Here it is, Derek Webb. Like to hear it? Here it goes. to forget all of my regret I know you're strong enough to do the job you go by many names forever stay the same your promises I claim you're all I've got Yeah, that's the Spirit Bears the Curse from Derek Webb from his album Fingers Crossed. I like that synth beat. Really there. cool. And uh, I guess I'm spoiling part of the interview that we did with him here. You'll hear, hear him talk about it later, but he played all the instruments on that. Yeah, he produced it himself, did everything else himself. Yeah. 
All right. Speaking of interviews, Phil, here's the interview. And the, I say interview. Our talk with Derek Webb, mm-hmm. where we talk about uh, music. Uh, he gives some great insight. If you're a uh, aspiring musician that wants to make a living being a musician, musician tells you all about how to do it. Um, anyway, here it is. He also we we also talk about uh, the awesome movie. Not really Jobs, starring Ashton Kutcher. It's about Steve Jobs. Anyway, here it is, Derek Webb. Folks, welcome to the Horror Movie Podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. On the show, we have the man, the myth, the legend. I'm going to call you musical genius. Oh, God. Derek Webb. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's no pressure because I'm not performing any music, so I don't have to actually be a genius. Well, yeah. what you did, because what you didn't say is that I'm a podcast genius, and so I think as long as I manage to talk for the next thirty minutes, I'm going to be. It, it's, it, it'll be at least inconclusive. Well, it, well, unless they go back and listen, and then they'll agree. Um, okay, so uh, Derek, I, uh, Phil, and I both have been very big fans of Derek Webb for a long time, um, and I told you that before we started recording. My wife uh, loves Derek Webb, so here I'm going to tell you: tell folks. Uh, about your music, what you have going on right now, sure. and then also then kind of tag in and tell po- folks about your podcast and where they can listen to that and download that. Sure. Oh, it's very generous. Sure. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I mean, I'm a musician by trade and I have been for a very long time. I've got a, a new record that came out late last year called Fingers Crossed, came out <laughs> in September, I think. That's the new record. I, and, uh, and I'm touring that record now, also um, all, this whole all this year. And um, so, and folks can find all that if they just go to like my website or something, DerekWeb.com, D-E-R-E-K-W-E-B-B. And then anywhere like social media is just at Derek Webb everywhere. And so people can go and check that out. And then the podcast, me and some friends started a podcast. I swore I would never do it. It's like I just <laughs> I I'm so conflicted when I talk about the idea that I started a podcast. Cause it's like here in Nashville, like anybody you haven't seen in a while, you're like, Hey man, how's it going? What have you been up to? Well, I just, I started a podcast yes. and it's like, I just can't, <laughs> I just, I feel I'm very conflicted, but I did. Uh, I can't deny that it's happened. And yeah. so a couple of, so, yeah, so some friends of mine and I started it, it kind of came out of the new record, the fingers crossed record, because the new record is, it covers a lot of terror. It's a heavy record. It's kind of a sad record. And so if you're into heavy, sad things, you'll love it. But um, it's basically, um, it's like a record about spiritual deconstruction, reconstruction, that sort of thing. Um, and it led us into starting this podcast, which is basically just kind of unedited conversations about spiritual dean reconstruction that we have with anybody, everybody, like people schedule times, to, to record Skype conversations with us and just tell us their stories and we just curate them by topic and air them. And we're in our second season. You can find it wherever you go looking for podcasts. And it's called The Airing of Grief. So you can always you, you can also check it out at uh, theairingofgrief.com. So that's it. Um, you have um, – what's your what's your website about um, – I can't believe I said I'm saying no, this. Your website uh, that to help people kind of engage in the music industry and uh, – to to make kind of make it in the music not make it in the music industry yeah, yeah. well tell so, me I about mean, that I, yeah all my ancillary work is all kind of music related yes. and so and and there's one of two things that you may be thinking of the one no, is noise that crater. I, I, haven't, 
Well, I have an online course that I teach uh-huh. that that's like kind of teaching indie artists how to make money, uh, you know, playing music, and because that's what I've done for like twenty years. Yeah, that's called Middle Class Musician. Okay, there you go. And that's and that's at middleclassmusician.com. It's like six hours of video classes and a, and a and a kind of a, a Slack community that you can join and stuff. And so that's one thing. But then Noise Trade is a company that I started ten years ago. There you go. Yeah. That it, that gives away free music for emails and zip codes, basically. So rather, it's like iTunes, where everything's free, and you just put in your email and your zip code, and you kind of join an artist mail list, and you get their music for free. Cool. So um, started that company in 2008, sold it a few years ago, ran it for the last about five years, but just retired from all that deal. Like okay. I'm, I officially have nothing to do with noise trade anymore, thankfully. Um, but it was a great <laughs> ten year run. Yeah. But we, we, it was it was bought by a, a bigger music company, and they're doing still doing really great things. It's still yeah doing great but uh i am i after 10 years you know you gotta you gotta give a breather and uh yeah yeah it becomes probably the thing that uh uh wears you out at times and then you're just like man i'm it was great i mean it was i never thought as a kid who barely got out of high school and didn't even think about going to college i never imagined starting or running a company or selling a company i didn't think any of that stuff was ever going to happen but it it did and it's been it was a great experience and it's still they're still doing great work um but again, music related, ancillary to my music career. All of my extracurricular stuff is all pretty much music related stuff. So that's cool. Um, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, a couple couple quick questions that I I feel like I want to ask. Um, sure. Musical influences. Can you tell folks about your musical influences? I know that's kind of putting you in, in a box there, but not at all. Um, yeah. yeah, I I grew up loving singer songwriters. Like I grew up loving folk folk musicians folk singers like mm-hmm. i'm thinking bob dylan joan baez woody guthrie um you know Joni mitchell and then on into like simon and garfunkel and even like indigo girls and just great songwriters you know that that's um the and but more in the last like 10 years let's say i kind of followed the thread of great folk music into hip-hop and more okay. urban music because i feel like um hip-hop musicians are kind of the folk singers of the last 30 years, like in terms of folks who radical truth tellers, prophetic kind of speaking truth to power, unfiltered stories of the people. It's like alternate news source. I and mean, all the great things that I loved about Dylan in the sixties mm-hmm. is what I love about, you know, all my favorite hip hop artists now. And so, um, so that's a lot of where I draw a lot of inspiration from are like anybody telling anybody that I think I feel like is kind of real truth tellers and, and, um, uh, you know, cr- critics of culture and things like that. Like that's, that's a lot of what I really dig. And, um, yeah. So like fifties folk music and hip hop, that's pretty much all I listen to. That's cool. Honestly, that's cool. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's, it's cool. all the same thing to me. It's awesome. Uh, what about, uh, kind of changes in the music industry from when you got started to now? And I know, um, oh it, that's varying. That's that's kind of a big swath to cover, but it is well, because of my because my first band, me and some friends in Texas started a band in the early '90s called Cadman's Call, and I was in that band. We started at '92. I was in that band for ten years before I started my solo career that I'm mm-hmm. still in. Right. When we started Cadman's, I mean, there was no internet. There wouldn't be internet for a few years still when we started Cadman's. So, like that has changed pretty much everything in all of culture, especially in the music business. But the, here's the thing, like the, 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 there are still a couple of rules you can't break in the music business. One, rule number one is be great. You can't break rule number one. Yeah. 
so it doesn't matter how great you are at social media and, and shaking hands and kissing babies. If you're not making, if you're not making stuff that's good that yeah. people like or resonate with, or is yeah. providing emotional soundtrack for people, you're not owed a career. You're just not. Yeah. Um, you're going to be exposed. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just, and, and, and the business as it is now exposes it a lot quicker than it did, let's say 20 years ago. You can't fake it for a minute now and you could do it for several years back in the old days. But um, so rule number one, be great. And, and honestly, the future of every business in my opinion, but especially the music business is super fans, like identifying and meaningfully connecting with the people who most deeply resonate with and will support what you're doing. You don't need, like if your ego can bear not being a household name or making seven figures a year, you can make a great, robust living as an indie music, as an indie artist. You can, and the vast majority of everyone making a living in the music business are in the middle class now. And there was no middle class 20 years ago. There was no middle class. It was Mm -hmm. hobbyists and people on the radio. Um, Now the vast majority of everybody who's making a living in music don't sell more than 2000 albums a year. It's like literally 85 and 90% of the music business are middle class now. So it's like, Mm. it's a great, yeah, you can actually make a living at it. Um, So that's changed majorly, you know? It's cool. Uh, And, tag that back to your, your website middle class musician right yeah that's right i mean that's that's what we, that's what i teach you know that's what we talk about that's what i try and help equip younger artists to do is like stop wasting their time feeling like they've tried and failed when they haven't even started because they don't really realize how it works it's like um you know because they're they're trying to get everybody in the world to hear their music and to and to discover them when really they need to be focused on finding super fans um because 85 of your audience will never pay you any money that's just the way the world works now. And if they do, it's like a half a penny on Spotify. It's anonymous. But like super fans will subsidize 150% of your career. <laughs> if you're engaging them with the with the right, you know, kind of experiences and products and things, if you understand who they are, what they love, what they love about you, uh, and you, you super serve those people, you've got a career. Um, but funny. if you're looking to be rich or famous, dude, there are literally 49 things above – being a musician on the list of ways to get rich and famous. Like <laughs> there's a million things you should do. If you want to be rich or famous, like don't try to be a musician. Don't try to be an artist. Like don't believe what you see on the voice. I mean, that's just, that, that's not real. You yeah. know, if you really want to do this job, you can, but it's a job It's and it's middle-class. So, uh, you know, but that's kind of the good news. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's cool. That's a really crazy, cool, not crazy, cool, perspective oh, it's crazy yeah well i didn't mean to say you're crazy you know but, i've made a living yeah. at this for like 20 almost five years i've made a living doing nothing but playing music and it's not because i'm famous and it's not because i'm freakishly talented yeah. it's because it's because i'm tenacious and i'm adaptable yeah um and you know and like most of the time nobody even knows the majority of the shows that i play are house shows right which is actually where i make the most money um because it's supply and demand i put 60 70 people in a living room okay good i, um, I was gonna say can you, you know can you describe can you describe kind of how the house show model works? Uh, I know Pedro the Lion. Um, what, what's his name? Oh yeah, but Dave Bazan's a great friend of mine. Right, yeah, he plays and, a lot of house shows. Right, and he and he uh, he's done a lot of his touring through house shows like that. So. Yeah, and that's that's the majority of what I do. You know, I mean, because it's because again, it's supply and demand. So if if I've got markets where, you know, um, and for instance, again, it's like this is what noise trade. This is why noise trade got started. I realized that whoever owns the information or the data, whoever has the connection, owns the connection with your fans, owns your career. And so artists should have that data. That's what, that's why noise trade started. Cause I started giving music away for free 
but collecting emails yeah. and zip codes. And suddenly I, I could dig tunnels under iTunes and Spotify and all the people who own customers straight to my fans, sell things directly to them. If I had their zip codes, I knew where they were, where there were concentrations of them and therefore where I should be playing concerts. So now I know where to tour because I have emails. I've got a hundred thousand fans on emails with zip codes. I know everywhere I should go because I know I've got fans and then I sell tickets directly to them. Now the tickets, you know, aren't for house shows aren't cheap. They're 20 bucks. But the thing is, it's, you're going to be one of 50 people in a room with no PA, no lights. It's the most intimate. Basically imagine the VIP experience (laughs) of a concert. Yes. A house house show is only, it's only for VIPs, you know? Wow. And um, so it's a great experience. It's one and, and everyone is, unique um you know they're all in secret locations you don't even get the address unless you buy a ticket um and so it's like and i've made a great living at this and but the point i'm making is you know when i go into any given city mostly nobody knows i'm there and even if they did nobody recognizes me i'm not famous or anything like that but i've made a really good living at this for a really long time and it's about learning how to super serve the people who most deeply resonate with and support you. And so like, that's, it's so it's about super fans, you yeah. know? And, uh, I could, I would have nothing without them. And, um, and that's it. Yeah. That's, that's the way the business works now. So it's really cool. That's smart. Um, where, uh, did, did that idea spark from, uh, your, your initial, initial touring, uh, type things where you, you were like, I've got to dig a little deeper into, right. Uh, is, is that where that all sparked from? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I mean, early on in my career, like, you know, you have booking agents, you have people who you're splitting money up with, and they're putting you in these, these bigger rooms or clubs or whatever it is. And you're, you're paying so much money out and you're working yeah. so hard to make so little. Yeah. You've got to meet that overhead. Of yeah. And I, so in I think yeah. honestly, it's just survival. It's like, I just realized like, you know, I'm, I just don't make enough per show and to where this that part of my career was making enough money, it didn't make sense for the, the time I was gone. And I thought, well, how could I do better? How could I make more? How could I? And how could it be a better experience for me and for the people who are coming? And so I just started thinking about it. And you know, as I analyze any business, including my own, I just kind of thought, well, how do I? How, where are my cost centers? And where are my profit centers? How do I maximize? How do I minimize one and maximize the other? And I yeah. thought, well, you know, like, and, and the other thing is when you play in clubs, you know, they take a big percentage of that money mm-hmm. for people who would show up anyway. Right. Um, we're coming to see you just cause you're there, but also then you can't come back for X amount of months or they'll make mm-hmm. you sign a thing saying you can't play in that area for, for X amount so of months. Weird. So weird. Yeah. Whereas with house shows, I just get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and Instagram and I say, Hey, it's free. Who'd be willing to host me for, for a show, for, you know, shows for a weekend in Texas or a weekend in North Carolina, uh, North, North, uh, Northern California. Or what? And I ask and I, people come and fill out a Google form and I, I figure out who are the best places and what, what, what can hold the right amount of people, right part of town. Um, you know, we, we make an agreement. I put the tickets on sale. I pre-sell all the tickets before I get there. Um, it's easy. It's fun. It's free for hosts. Um, they do it just because they love throwing a party and it's like they get, you know, it's fun for them to, you know, maybe to have me there. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's like, it's fun for everybody. And I love it because like, rather than a club where you're dealing with some, some grumpy sound guy and some hungover bartender and you're there in the <laughs> afternoon to do Bit, a sound check. I've been there. I show up at, yeah. 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 <laughs> I've been I, mean, there. I show up at seven o'clock or an eight o'clock show and I'm like in a good mood and I'm not worn out and it's a blast, you know, it's cool. a better way to do it. I think I just learned it after having done it for a bunch of years. Yeah realizing the parts of it that bummed me out, the parts of it that, that where I wasn't 
where the, co- the, the, the profit and loss didn't make sense. And I just thought, well, how can I make this make more sense? It's the same reason that I've learned how to produce my own records. And I've, right. over the many years, I realized that it cost a lot of money to make records. So I needed to learn how to do more parts of the making of records. And now I have my own recording studio and I produce my own records. And I, my last record, I played every instrument. I did everything but mix it. So it's like, it, but it's, a, it's like natural selection. It's just a low process, a slow process of creeping your way up a really steep hill and learning to do things you never could have imagined you could do. So I never thought in my 20s I'd be a, able to produce records and engineer my own records and play all these instruments. But over the last 20 years, I've learned because I've had to in order to make a living at this. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, so right, right. It, yeah. yeah, so ne- it's, ne- it's necessity, adapt- yeah. adaptation, man. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking about houses and uh, things that are, you know, maybe small house type setting. Uh, yeah. You know, have you ever played in a garage at one of your house shows? I have played. See, the thing about house shows is, and what we tell people is, it doesn't have to be in a literal house. Like, I've played in all kinds of places. I play, Sometimes it's just whatever space you have or, or is available to you. So it's like, I play a lot of house shows in, like, photography studios or, like, art studios after hours mm. when they're closed down. Yeah. I've played house shows in coffee shops, honestly, where they just, they've got a pal who owns a coffee shop. They close it two hours early and we do the show there. Yeah, I've played house shows in all in abandoned warehouses, dude. I mean, I've played, because the thing is, what's crazy about it is I don't need seats. I don't need lights. I don't need a PA system. Right. I literally just need a place for 50 people to sit on their asses on the floor cool. and for me to stand up with an acoustic guitar and sing songs. It's it's that it's that simple, you know? It's awesome. Um, you know, but do you know what what else started in a garage? This podcast? Apple <laughs> Apple computers. Oh, I know. I see where you're going. I see Apple going. computers started in a garage, Derek. This podcast uh, almost started in a garage. Uh, kind of. <laughs> it well, sort of. Anyway. That's um, right. Apple computers famously started in a garage. It did. And um, there's a movie, a uh, legend in the hills of movies called Jobs. People are gonna, wait, I was going to say, people are going to think we're talking about a different movie. No, because there, there was there were two actually made. Oh no, yeah, this, this is what, what's that other one called? The the one with Matt, uh, Michael Fassbender. What's yeah, it? that was that was the Aaron Sorkin movie. It's, yeah. it's just called Steve Jobs. Yeah, it's called Steve Jobs. Now it's good. It's good. Yeah. Jobs. It's great. With yeah. Ashton Kutcher, you know the guy from uh, you know he was married to Demi Moore for a while, and then uh, and then he uh, he was in that '70s show. Remember him? Oh yeah, he's he's now Steve Jobs. Um. <laughs> it, so, on on the movie Jobs, what, let's talk about this real quick. Uh, real quick, time for some details. Really, their budget wasn't as big, so they couldn't afford the extra five letters. That they had to just go with Jobs because <laughs> their budget was so small. Um, a twelve million dollar budget on this movie, uh, and the box office uh, a paltry uh, thirty five million, actually almost thirty six million dollars. Um, Wait, it, it made that much money? It did. People like the Ashton Kutcher. He's, that's scandalous. He's cinema gold. I mean, he is just, uh, he's going to bring, he's going to put butts in seats. Um, so, um, okay. I'm trying to think of who else is in this movie. Uh, you have J.K. Simmons, who plays a lot of roles like this. You have uh, Josh Gad from uh, Frozen fame, if you will. He's he's famous. Is that who played Wozniak? Yeah, that's that's Josh Gad. Uh, he's Olaf oh the uh, snowman. Um is that right? Yeah, he's all off. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh? And then uh, James Wood is in it, and Matthew Modine is also in it too. What I'm you think? shocked at how many other names I recognize. Yeah. Now the soundtrack because I mean, it's been a minute. I mean, I, yeah. I know we, but like I I just thought it was Kutcher and then just a bunch of 
you know, like uh, film school flunkies. No, no, there's some legitimate actors. Like I said, Matthew Modine was in it. Uh, James Wood. Uh, uh, and it no. still managed to be so. Yeah, it's it was crazy. Bad. It was it, it was bad. And here's here's what here's what I I found most uh, entertaining about it. Uh, it's done in a way where you're. Uh, do you think and I, do you think the the intention was to leave us feeling like Steve Jobs was the winner, the winner in this movie? I I don't know if you remember the tone very well of this movie. Sure. But the tone of it was kind of middle of the row. It doesn't necessarily paint Steve Jobs as the good guy. It doesn't necessarily say he's all bad. But in the same vein, it was like, and it may just been the way Ashton Kutcher acted his way through this. It was... Um, he acted with air quotes his way through this? Acted. <laughs> he he did a, he tried to do a uh, Steve Jobs impression through the whole movie, basically. Uh, and it was hard, hard to watch. Um, yes. I'll tell you one thing about this too. Uh, what I my, the biggest thing I can come away with is this: every time Steve Jobs, quote unquote, Ashton Kutcher came on 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 screen, it was a big inspirational speech, right? And I found that to be like grating to watch. And then I said that's the only thing that ever came out of his mouth. Yeah, and he would be inspiring, and he'd be holding his hands like Steve Jobs. He would do like a little uh, praying kind of two fingers, almost like you know what I'm saying <laughs> together. To kind of make like a little like a hmm, uh, think, sure. a thinking mm-hmm. thing, and then he <laughs> basically would, Steve Jobs' pose on the cover of Time magazine, right? Yeah. Yes, and he would make he would say something to the effect of, "We we want to do things differently here," and and then and then there'd be some minor character that would be like, "You're you've inspired me, and you've made my dreams come true." It's like this weird messiah. It was like, basically like a, a two hour fourth act. <laughs> <laughs> But it was like, like the whole movie was the last act. Yeah. And and then um they introduced the iPod to start out with, which a great invention. The iPod is a great invention. I I will say that. Let none of this be in any way disparaging on Apple or Steve Jobs himself. Let's no. be very careful there. Yeah. 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 Even Ashton Kutcher, with all of that terrible hair and makeup in this movie, could not make Steve Jobs' actual inventions bad. So that's a relief. Yeah. And it was um I it just was a varying uh it was just odd. The tone of it yeah, was so weird. You're saying it opened with the iPod, though. It opened the iPod. It opened, and then it and then it swings into. But it goes back in the day. He's at college. Um, he was allowed to go to college and not really pay tuition. I don't right. know if you knew that or not, but which is crazy. He dabbles in drugs at one point uh, in the in the movie, um, which is the funniest. Yeah, the drug scene, the fir- the the acid scene in this movie. Yeah. is literally like something out of an after-school special. Like it is yeah. the it's, absolute, or it's something like out of an Austin Powers it's movie. Very it's, dre- it's very dreamy. Comical, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very, what were you saying? I'm sorry. No, no, I was just saying it's comical. It's like, it, it's like, a, it looks like an acid trip out of a Austin Powers movie. It's just like the worst, funniest, you just, and the whole time, the the acting it's so stiff it's as stiff as the as the bad hair wig that they're that he's wearing yes. in like every scene it's Gosh. like it's just like you can see like it looks like a bad SNL skit where you can see the wig half coming off like you can see where they've done the I, I swear every shot of this movie looks like this and yes. it's like and uh, like I said, he's got his friends together. They're working out of their garage. They get a big investment um, from someone, and I can't remember the guy's name. Um, 
Oh, this is great, great audio. Oh, uh, Paul Terrell is the guy's name. Uh, he, and he sure. he gives him seed seed money of like ninety thousand dollars. Oh right, yeah. And then he ends up that guy ends up uh, kind of screwing him over at the end a little bit. Gets him voted out as you know CEO of Apple later on in the early eighties. And right. then the timeline gets goofy. And then it's like he just goes away. Like I, which Apple did kind of go away a little bit in all of our minds. I think in the right. you know mid eighties to mid nineties. And then he comes back and makes his way back in and he, but he's a genius the whole time every, every time they frame him up it's That's like right. it's like he's kind of sheldon cooper from <laughs> big bang theory at times yes but but then like less somehow somehow less endearing <laughs> than sheldon it's like this weird like right. anyway I, I i guess i'd forgotten about his other company that next computers any oh sure next I guess I forgot that was him. That's what he did after he left Apple, right? Yeah. So that and that's actually how he wound up back at Apple because Apple wound up buying uh, the operating system that Next had developed. Mm, okay. They wound up buying it from him, and and he came with Next when they purchased it, basically. <laughs> so, so he kind of finagled his way. I mean, unfortunately, the story is great, and not of this movie. Um, the Steve Jobs story. No, the story is 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 you know heralded in heralded in Silicon Valley, but this the him him I just it's it just the whole thing to me felt like you know who like especially at that time because it was much closer to Jobs' passing and it just felt like Kutcher it, it was probably his like I'm surprised that um uh that Kutcher beat Kanye West to the punch that <laughs> Kanye didn't make a jobs movie where he played Steve jobs because it's like, because basically it's just like a guy wanting to be his hero in a movie. Yeah. So he makes a hero, a movie no one wanted in order to basically do, as you said, his Steve jobs impression for an hour. And oh. it's like, and then he would get emotional and come out of his Steve jobs impression. And then he was the kid from that 70s show, like on a serious yes. episode where something bad happened to the gang. And, you know, it's like this weird, yes. like, and he would come out of it, and then and then it would be. It almost felt like at times the movie was cut up in a way where you knew certain scenes were filmed kind of out of order because they were in the location. So they're like, "We're gonna do this here, and it'll be out." And then it never really the the editing was odd. Let's see. Let's see, right. who, let's see who I can blame for the editing on this movie. Well, and the thing is, Robert it, Kamats, Kama, Kamatsu. I'm gonna blame Robert Kamatsu for it. He's edited by him, so we're gonna blame him for the editing. Wow. Sorry. Well, yeah, I'm calling him out. I mean, I'm calling him out, Derek. To me, you know, it felt like, you know, I mean, like the, the guy who played Wozniak. I mean, he basically, and I know he's a legit funny comic actor, or whatever. Yes. But he also, I, in my opinion, lives very much in the shadow of, you know, he lives in Jonah Hill's shadow. He's Ooh, basically like that's true. And and to me, it felt like basically, like here's what would have made this movie forgivable to me is if it had been a comedy, if Jonah Hill had played Wozniak and James Franco had been jobs, because then it would have been like all those Jonah Hill, James Franco, or, you know, like it would have been like all those ridiculous, like, you know, Franco Rogan movies. Like if it had been like a buddy comedy of a couple of screw ups. <sighs> see, I would like love to watch that. Do you see what I mean though? If it had been like James Franco so let's just say James Franco and Seth Rogen, and that and that had been Jobs Wozniak, and it had been a comedy. 
Like that okay. would have, and, it, and it, they would, could have released it on Funny or Die. Like that yes. would have been, I would have watched that. So you have, Derek, you've started a new segment on our show. It's called uh, Recasting. I'm, I'm going to have to rename it. Oh, if you that's come a great up with, idea. If you come up with a good name for this segment, that's not just me saying, calling it Recasting. Maybe we'll call it Derek Webb Presents Recasting. Sure, and, sure. And you have recast. Now you said that uh, James Franco is Steve Jobs. And, Seth uh, Rogen and you want Wozniak. Seth Rogen as Wozniak. Okay. We can do that. Yeah. And the rest, it would be, it would just, I mean, it would just tell itself. Cause then you just go to any of those Franco Rogan movies and you just pull all the dudes that are in all those movies in every role and you put them and it doesn't matter. It writes point. itself. That stuff writes itself. It just itself. writes itself. Yeah. I love it. You know, um, okay. Uh, um, one thing before we let you go here, uh, I want you to tell us what have you been into lately? Um, this can be a book. Oh. This can be a book. A different movie that's actually good, um, a um, maybe a new person's album, um, a video game. Not sure if you play those. Um, it can be anything. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, any what? Well, I'm, what I, have I you been into lately? I will say that I'm a huge movie buff. Okay, and big t- television movie buff. I mean, like I'm, and so obviously the Movie Pass came out. You know, completely changed my life. Um, I was already seeing that many movies, but going broke doing <laughs> it. And, uh, but so, and I've seen. Um, and so here's so here's where I'm going to focus because for a second there I was getting a little bit option paralyzed because there are so many things I want to talk I would want to talk about in response. But here's what I'll say um, is I was a huge am a huge fan of Ernest Klein's book Ready Player One. Oh, phenomenal! Okay, I'm cool. a huge huge fan of Ernest Klein's, and so I was I've been excited for years waiting for the movie to come out for ready player one to come out. Okay. Um, I know it's gotten very mixed reviews, um, uh, by folks on every side, but what I will say is that I have actually, I'm going on my third theater viewing of this movie. Cool. <laughs> and because I actually, now it's completely different than the book for people who are going to be upset that I've said this. It's as though the same characters in the same world just had a different story happen to them. It's just not really the same as what happens in the book. And yep. there were a lot of things in the book I was really bummed I didn't get to see on screen by mm-hmm. through the through the grid of uh, Steven Spielberg. But Ernest Klein did at least write the first version of the screenplay. He was involved with the revised screenplay. And I just thought it was really entertaining. I don't know that you'd love it if you haven't read the book because I know there's a lot that my friends have told me that they – Realized they were at the end of the first act and had no reason to care about these characters because mm. they did not understand what was going they hadn't on. And developed them, but but I love 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 the book and I actually really loved the movie and I've been a little bit obsessed with it lately and um, like I can't see it enough times. I'm gonna for sure see it two more times in the theater. It's just so entertaining and I'm like in my early 40s, so like that's my era, you know, um, cool. 80s. But it's really good. So if people have not seen that, I will never be on this show again talking about how making fun of that movie. No. And, I, and anyone who does come on this show making fun of that movie, I will fight on the air. Oh, okay. I love it. I, we could, well, I'll tell you, we'll have you up for a house show. And, and then we'll I will have fight the fight somebody. In the yard of the house show. Yeah, I, will yard, house. I will yard fight somebody who did not like this movie. Derek Webb's yard fights. Yeah, that's right. Um, that cost extra though. What what would that, what would that that's that's the VIP experience. That's the, right? that's the VIP when you come to the backyard afterwards and watch somebody just make quick work of me. Uh, <laughs> what would happen? I'm not very big. 
Um, so. Locally here, we're we're recording from uh, around Springfield, Missouri. I know you have huh? uh, a house show coming up um, in May. I know in Kansas City, which isn't that far. I do. Hours. Yeah, I get through. I get. Yeah, I've, I've been around that area already once on this tour. I just played in St. Louis uh, last month, I think. And okay. uh, but I've, yeah, I do. I've got a. Uh, I've got uh, at least a Kansas City show coming up. But I'll, yeah, I'm I'm through that part of the world pretty often. Awesome. Actually. Awesome. So. Well, we'll. I don't know how promotion wise. I mean, I guess I, uh, if or I'll promote out that that show's going on. I don't know how. Yeah, yeah, Kansas it, City I, house show coming up, coming up next. Uh, is it this month or is it next month? I feel like it's you're, in May. Um, yeah, you're yeah. probably right. This so will air. Month. This will air um, in at the very beginning of May, and so yeah, I'm just was looking at yeah. your website. Well, DerekWeb.com, all the shows, uh, tickets, and all that stuff for the shows are there. So if folks want to. Check that out. There's still a bunch of shows in the tour left. So yeah, cool. it's May twelfth. May twelfth. And there's May twelfth. And Tulsa's not that far from here. May eleventh. So awesome. Well, Derek, we appreciate it, man. Thank yeah, you, you guys so much. Are great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and you're always welcome. And tell folks one more time about your podcast and where they and where you they uh, about it. And then yeah, where, so where thanks they can for that. It. Yeah. So the airing of grief is the name of the podcast. Anywhere you go looking for podcasts, you should be able to find it. But primarily, you can always find it at theairingofgrief.com. Um, all of season one is up. We're, in the, we're we're just at the beginning of season two now. Uh, stories of spiritual DNA reconstruction. If you're in, if you're interested in that sort of thing, so um, awesome. yeah. So please check it out. That's very cool, Derek. Man, hey, our pleasure of you coming on. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, it was great yeah. to talk to you guys. Let's do it again sometime. All right, we will, bud. Thank you so much. Right. See ya. All right. Well, uh, yeah, Derek Webb, man, phenomenal. Um, I uh, done a lot of music in my day tried to become a huge worldwide superstar my goal was to become the biggest rock star of all time obviously that did not happen <laughs> uh, but with the tools that Derek Webb g- gives you <laughs> I feel like I'm doing a commercial for this website. <laughs> if you really want to find out anyway. I liked what he said about middle class musician that was a concept I'd never really thought about before like if you're selling a couple thousand copies of your album, that that could be good. Like that could be success for your band, you know. Yeah, and if you can make make ends meet and make you know make it happen, but he like he said he's played music for twenty years now and yeah. made a living doing it. And and some people have only been alive for twenty something years, so I think they have a lot to learn from Derek. Yeah. Um. Anyway, there's some pretty cool tools there. Um. We we talked about you know his music. We we have listened to his music. You and I have listened to his music for decades. Can you say decades? A couple. I mean, at least. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I, I know. I'm saying, yeah. I was definitely listening to Cayman's Call in college, which yeah. for us was in the late '90s. Right. Um, and he was doing music even before that. And um, at the Noise Trade thing that he was talking about, I bought several of his albums through Noise Trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I got a couple of them for free too. Have you ever seen him live? I've seen him live a couple times. No. He's good. Yeah. He's really good. Um. Well, very cool. Um. Did you? The other thing I really enjoyed about him too it was subtle. It it wasn't like a main point that he had, but um, he has never stopped learning music, like learning how to play music. Like when he started out, he was guitar, right? Like mm-hmm. he uh, acoustic guitar. I'm assuming. Probably. I'm assuming. Yeah. I, th- I think he played acoustic in Cadence. I'm Call. saying. I'm assuming it was guitar, and it wasn't. I should ask him that. Yeah. Um. But but I'm assuming it wasn't piano first, and then guitar, or right? Something like that. But but. As he said now, I mean, like, where he's at in his life, he's in his 40s now. Um, he plays just about everything. Drums, yeah. keyboard, guitar, synth stuff. 
uh, bass guitar, like he can do it all. And um, I think that's, that's really great. Like, and I can't speak for any other, we don't know like a lot of famous, any famous musicians really. Uh, Chris Ballou. I almost started Chris talking about Chris Ballou from Presidents. And, yeah. Do you and, think he's done the his, same thing? But his, you think about his studio, he does all of his recording for Casper Baby Pants, like in his studio. So he's playing all the instruments. And he's there. doing all that stuff himself. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and, so, and so they're actually a little bit like when he was talking about that. I, it's they're like very that, similar. And I almost brought Chris, Chris's name up, but I felt like it would have ended up chasing a rabbit down a rabbit, you know, rabbit hole. So, but yeah, I, it's, it's the never stop honing your craft idea. And, you know, it was a subtle part of the, of the talk with him, but um, I think that was really good information. Like just because you've made it big doesn't mean you have to keep, you have to keep working on it and keep getting better. When you're always adapting, like he talked talk about that too, about yeah. how he's always adapting he's a, to the he situations. Said, he's in. He said, "There's only two things that I've done, you know, that's made me continue to be able to do this career full time and pay all my bills with just music, is being tenacious and being adaptive." I, I thought that was really smart. Um, tenacious and adaptive. I like it. That's my new band name. Tenacious and adaptive. There's another band that. Already took the tenacious, tenacious part. D. Well, we'd be right <laughs> next to each other. Um, we would be right next to each other in that. Um, well, very cool. Um, for you, Phil, have you ever seen the movie Jobs? Did you ever see Jobs? No, no. I so I had this question about the movie while you guys were talking, but I did not want to interrupt uh, between you and the great Derek. Um, we, uh, does it show like the the rough part of his? His personality, it does. Like it he, does. He yells at some people. Yeah, yeah. It made him look abrasive, and but almost like, like you weren't understanding why he was yelling at these people. Like it was like this, like, like why, why were you mad? They didn't do and, a good job. Of they didn't do a good job of setting that up. Yeah, and they didn't do a good job of um, making him seem like not a nut job a little bit at times. Like it was like this, really? like weird, like what? Like I don't understand why, why would anybody react the way you just reacted? <laughs> yeah. When, when I looked it up on YouTube, the movie, I, I just put Ashton Kutcher jobs and the first clip that comes up in YouTube as of today, um, is, uh, something like I already fired you or something like that. Some scene where he's like, yeah. like pushing at somebody out. He's like, you know, well, what, what am I fired? Wherever I already fired you get out, you know? Yeah. Right. And so, uh, I was wondering how much of the movie was made up of that. Um, you, you know, a lot about Apple computers. I've studied some. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read any like biographies or anything. No, like I'm that. saying you know about Apple computers. Like, yes, current Apple computers. Yes. Um, like you're you do that for a living. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so what um what was your initial uh when when did you first come in contact with Apple as a product? Oh, dude, Macintosh, Wait. Apple. What 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 was your first back in the day where we were playing Oregon Trail? Mine was on the <laughs> Apple II. We had Oregon Trail. Uh, in the library at my elementary, and it was like crazy that we had these six discs that you'd play Oregon Trail and you'd put them in the little 5.2 floppy or whatever it was that Apple was running on then, and it was cool. Green screen and the little ox was there, taking your family down the Oregon Trail. I'll never forget the first Mac that we ever owned was a Mac 2 Si. It looks like I I S I. Um, it came out in 1990. Wow! And, uh, but I think, if I remember correctly, my parents could probably uh, rec- uh, correct me on this. But um, I believe that this was our churches, like the church bought this because these were like 1,800 dollars or two grand or something like that. They were crazy expensive computers, um, and and like it had like one megabyte of RAM. <laughs> like I mean, like current computers will have like 
8,000 megabytes, eight gigs of RAM, and that had one megabyte of RAM in it. On the and it was soldered onto the soldered onto the uh, the motherboard, which is crazy. Anyway, um, this was like state of the art back then in, in the early nineties. Yeah, and my church bought them new, and then I think I believe if I remember correctly, I think we bought it used from the church and took it home. But I'm I'm talking like ninety three, nineteen ninety three, nineteen ninety four. We had a Mac two SI at home, so yeah, I, I go way back with Apple. Long time. Um, what's your favorite piece of Apple product ever? created if you were to isolate it down between all the things you use on a daily basis all the things you've used in the past all the things you use use of apple products for what would it be i've owned every every genre if that's a word for hardware of of apple products except for the apple watch that's the only one only thing i haven't used will you ever own the apple watch uh i hesitate to ever say it never for anything but probably not I don't think I will, unless the cost comes way, way down. I just don't, and I'll tell you why. It's very simple. I don't like watches. Yeah. I just don't like to wear a watch. Um, but the functionality of it is really enticing. Like, I think it would, in the Apple ecosystem in which I live, it would make a lot of sense. Uh, I don't think it makes as much sense for people that, especially like me that don't like watches, but then have like an Android phone. Like, I don't know that you really need an Apple watch. Right. But, um, I mean, I have an iPhone, an iPad Pro. My wife has an iPad Mini. She has an iPhone. I have an Ma- Apple MacBook Pro, um, and like I use all kinds of Apple devices at at, at work. So, I I mean I'm very much ingrained in all that. But um, I've I've had we had an Apple TV at once. We had an um, an Apple Airport, which is their router. Mm-hmm. They, I don't know if a lot of people even know that they make routers, um, but an Apple Airport uh, Extreme is what we used to have. Whoa, 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 whoa. It was extreme? Um, yeah, it's called the Apple Airport Extreme. What made this router extreme? <laughs> the extreme part is it's they only offer two SKUs, and one of them has Ethernet ports in the other in the back, and the other one doesn't. That's out so, of control. Yeah, but it was very extreme. That's extreme. Yeah. yeah. Ethernet cords? Um, I think, honestly, like, wow. I, I used to have an iPod, an old click wheel iPod. I never had a touchscreen iPod, iPod but um, I've had just about everything that Apple's ever released. Um, I don't think that, I think almost like objectively, I think most people would say the most important, um, the most changing of the world that they've done has been with the iPad. I, I can't imagine anything like the iPhone. Everyone talks about, you know, the, being the one, not the first smartphone, but one of the first smartphones that was like widely adopted. Um, all the, the apps and the app store, like all the, the, the word, I mean, the fact that we're doing a po- podcast, which is based on the iPod, which is I mean, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, they they really have been groundbreaking in a lot of ways. But the the iPad, I think, is the thing that will really stick in history. Like where tablets were not a thing until the iPad came along. Uh, some people were making tablets before the iPad came out, but um, as far as like uni- almost universal adoption, it's been it's been insane. Yeah. Um, the iPad is just um, as any singular device, it's it's sold more than what any other singular device has. There are more Android tablets out there than iPads, but it's on like, you know, well, eight, or, eight or nine. Because they make the little cheapy guys that... Well, some of them are expensive, but... I'm saying they make some cheapy ones that just like... Yeah. You could get readily quickly and that are like crud. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to, um, you know, harp on Android at all. I, I think it's no, a, it's I'm a not, very, very capable system. No, people system. have it be making money, man. Yeah. They're all being... You know, that, those people are making some cash. Yeah. Um, Great cash. But yeah, I, I 
I love my iPad, man. I, I, I mostly use it for games and comic books, to be honest, but um, it has a lot of really good uses out in the working world, too. So It's cool. Yeah. Um, Why is Apple so bulletproof? Why why does it not have the issues, the glitchy, weird, viral issues that other operating systems have and other things have? You know, I, and I'm going to sound contradictory here, but honestly... Um, they don't get viruses and stuff like that mostly because they're not in adoption as much as other computers. Like um, that makes them sound not successful as a company. They have billions and billions of dollars in the bank. They're very successful. But as far as like worldwide adoption, if you look at all the computers in the world, one out of 10, maybe two out of 10 might be oh, a Mac. That's like, cool. So the, it's, it's a lo- fairly low percentage. It's pretty exclusive. Yeah. If, 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 I mean, if 80%, 85% of the world is running on Windows and you want to write a virus that's going to attack a lot of computers, I don't know why anyone would want to do that. But if you're a hacker and you want to do that, yeah. just be a bad dude. Um, who are you going to develop your virus for? The 15% or the 85%? So why am, so, okay, that, that makes more sense. Yeah, so that's why would it. people want to start a virus just for fun I don't know. and ruin the people's I don't, lives? I mean, sometimes it's for monetary gain. Sometimes it's for, um, you know. The whole ransom, like like the whole people's computer for ransom. Right, right. I mean, some, I mean legitimately people steal credit card information and all kinds of stuff that actually give them money um but yeah why would you do it for free like without any gain i have no idea just to see if you could there's a lot of like uh hacked what they call hacktivism these days which is like (coughs) hacking other people's computers to make a point about something you know like about animal cruelty cruelty or whatever your political agenda is right um but other peripheral mouses yeah things like that yeah um well cool so um yeah very good what uh, what have you been up to lately? Anything special? Before um, we wrap it up, we got a big playground for our backyard oh, this yeah. weekend. Yeah, we have a a daughter who's now almost two. She'll be two in July. It's crazy. Yeah, um, and uh, she loves slides and swings and stuff like that. So we found a used uh, swing set with a slide and a rock climbing wall. Oh, um, I, now did you go up that? Put a bungee on your back and just to no. But I watched Jordan. I mean, Jordan can do it, and she's not, she's not even two. Yeah, oh. she can go. So I could do it. You think? Uh, I don't oh, know, what I, the heck? No, I don't know what the weight limit is. I can totally outclimb a two-year-old. <laughs> Maybe not. So she loves it already. She's only ha- she's had it for less awesome. than twenty-four hours. She wants to go out there all the time. Oh yeah, That's so cool. Yeah, it's raining today. She's upset. She can't. You have a good there. backyard for it too. That'll be good. Yeah, trees back there. Um, no, you know. No sink calls or anything. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, folks, thanks for tuning in. It's a great episode, Phil. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and we want to thank Derek Webb again. Uh, folks, thanks, it. thanks thanks, a lot, and we'll see you soon. Later. The Horror Movie Podcast is heard weekly on great stations like 88.1, KZ88, South Central Missouri's Public Radio, 104.1, Caps Media in Ventura, California, 103.5, WADR, Janesville, Wisconsin, and 105.5, KFGM, Missoula, Montana, from Missouri to Missoula. The Horror Movie Podcast is available for download on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and at the thehorrormoviepodcast.com.